Welcome to The Marketect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Marketect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Today, my lovely guest co-host, Scott from Utah, and I will have the pleasure of interviewing two executives, both varying experiences, but really one commonality, which is through their time at Gartner, RingCentral, Highspot, Slack, they've demonstrated that they can help companies win. Now, Siobhan has only been a few days at Slack, but I guarantee knowing who Siobhan is, that she's already creating an impact at Slack. And so today they're going to explore, we're going to explore with them just how they help their organizations today and previously, how they help them position to win, leveraging the disciplines of sales enablement and product and marketing. And now it's my pleasure to introduce you to Siobhan, my fellow Canadian, Gerard, and my guest co-host, Scott. Welcome everyone. Hey. Oh, ahoy there. Thanks. I feel like I feel like everyone has a cool name except for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, Scott. You, well, your last name is is very unique. How do you pronounce that? So, so I pronounce it Knudsen, but Knudsen. I don't give anyone a hard time because there are other Knudsens who pronounce it Knudsen, and so it's kind of like this battle between the Knudsens and Knudsens out there. So, I give everybody some slack if they uh, get, get it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, nice. Knudsen, we're going to get on with it. And uh, I, I love I love the pronunciation of your name here. So, but before we really get into how Siobhan and Gerard help their organization's position to win in their respective functions, a little fun, fill in the blanks. And so Siobhan, if you can indulge me here, I'm going to start with you. I am in enablement because? Because enablement is uh, a very strategic part of an organization. It's the hub of a wheel and it allows us to support our customers who are sales management and the sellers in order for them to be able to do their jobs. And I'm very passionate about getting the right conversations to happen so that sellers are talking to their customers instead of talking at their customers. And you do that through a combination of skills productivity training, all of that kind of good stuff. And it's having been a seller and then having been a pre-sales person for a very long time, I understand and I'm empathetic (laughs) with what sellers are going through. And so it's bringing the dose of reality to what's possible in order to really increase the productivity of these folks. And And I love bringing the dose of reality. Love it. Dose of reality, enablement being the hub of the wheel, enabling the uh, the people um, that are on the streets really having that, to, to have the right conversations. Brilliant. I love it. I love it, Siobhan. Gerard, I am in marketing because... Yeah, yeah I'm in marketing because, um, I, I've said this before, I, I, think, I feel like I found my calling in life. I, I want to help people solve problems by connecting the information that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, I've been a teacher in a prior life. I've worked at a library. My mother's a librarian. Like this is all part of like, I think it's just embedded in who I am. I value subject matter expertise and the notion of kind of connecting the disconnected. And I feel like one of the more effective ways you do that is with similes and metaphors and stories and marketing is this incredible platform that allows you to do those things. Take a, take a context, take information, take something that's really complex 
and then help somebody understand what it is and what it does and why that matters. And that, that's magic. And I just feel like that is that is that is awesome. That is my passion. That, that's why I'm in marketing. I get the platform, the resources, the teams, and the ability to go do that every day. Right. If, you, if, you're, if, you're, if your memoirs aren't connecting the disconnected, that's a perfect <laughs> title for your memoirs. Notice. I was just going to say, Scott, like, yeah, I love that. Connecting the disconnected. And I got to say, I'll attest to this. Every time I speak to Gerard, he's always teaching me something new. So uh, he's just a natural, a natural teacher. I love that. All right, Siobhan, back to you. My definition of leadership is? Reimagining the status quo. And in doing so, you have critical conversations versus artificial harmony. I really believe that leadership is there to support and to provide the guidance and to essentially get the stuff out of the way that keeps my team, our teams, from doing the best work of their lives. Wow. Artificial harmony. I love that that uh, that saying, and and having the critical conversations versus just allowing for artificial harmony. That I, I am. I'm also writing down artificial harmony. That is a <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> you weren't kidding when you said she was a future Hall of Famer, man. Yes, <laughs> Gerard. Yeah. Your definition uh, of leadership is. Yeah, it embodies a lot of the principles Siobhan just shared. That's, that's awesome. Um, I think there's elements of kind of empathetic guidance through it all. Um, you are a leader. You have followers. Those people trust you to make the right decisions on their behalf. And I think it's understanding kind of what the path ahead entails, whether that's a happy path or there's tough times ahead. You have to guide them through that. And you got to guide them with empathy. You got to guide them through uh, understanding where they are, what their capabilities are, trying to get more out of them, but in a way that makes sense. It doesn't push them too fast, too far past the comfort zone. And also to the same angle Siobhan just stated, how to get them to do the best work of their lives, how to get them to, to go beyond themselves and really unlock things that I don't think they think was even imaginable. Oh, I'm going to combine both of what you said. I mean, leadership is about empathetic guidance and having those critical conversations to break down that artificial harmony that exists in so many organizations uh, that I've seen. Um, okay, this is fantastic. We're already off on the right foot. Let's get started, but let's start with the basics. Let's level set with our audience here. Gerard, Shravan, I'm gonna ask each of you to define your functions. So we have a, a, a common platform to jump off on. Gerard, what's your definition of product marketing? Um, at a really high level, it's being able to understand what a product is, how it works, uh, how that's different, why someone should care. Um, you got to get really good at that story because you're not only telling it to the external market, right? Their prospects, your uh, your influencers, your analysts, you're, you're doing it through multi-channels that they touch, great. But you're also telling it to your kind of internal audience as well, right? You need to reinforce that to um, your sales team, your enablement team, your services team. And you're constantly getting the feedback loop on whether or not the things you're saying across those are, are accurate. You could run into a scenario where you talk about the things your product does and find that your customers don't use it that way. And so how do you, again, connect all those disconnected pieces to make sure you're telling a similar story across all your channels in a consistent way so that people can go out and, and execute. So when I think about product marketing, that's what I think about, telling the story of what your product does, how it does it, how it's different, why someone should care, while also recognizing your product's going to evolve and your market's going to evolve and your competitors are going to evolve. So you're never done. You're never done with putting 
all of the things you learn into a context that people can understand so that they can go forth and execute. Oh, love it. And everything you said, yes, 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 and yes. And product marketing cannot operate in a vacuum. One of the top three interlocks for product marketing, for all the things that you just said you have to do, uh, you need enablement, uh, you know, side by side. That needs to be your uh, one of your, your key interlocks. So to that end, Siobhan, like folks paint this, you know, enablement, quote unquote, with it's such a broad brush. Can you set the record straight? What is enablement and what are all the sub-functions in a global enablement team? Speak so the truth, Siobhan. From a, a formal definition, sales enablement is a strategic lever that drives initiatives end-to-end through the customer's buying journey and continued customer relationship as a force multiplier in sales coaching and execution. That is it from a formal perspective. But what that actually means is that it is a business within a business in order to help Gerard and his team create the content that is not only consumable by sales, but is also consumable that sales can deliver over to the customers to track all of that, get that data all back to Gerard and what he needs in order to make sure they're doing the right thing. So it's the tribal knowledge piece. It is making sure that the product rollouts are done in such a way that the right level of information is delivered to the right level of persona within the whole selling environment. And it's to make sure that that everybody really understands what the go-to-market is and how that go-to-market applies to their job and what they do. And so it's that whole combination of go-to-market, content management, is it available when it's needed in the right format? And do we have a loop back that can provide the information needed, which is why enablement and product marketing are locked at the hip. There is no way either of us can do that without each other. No way. No way. Like Frodo and Sam, really. Yeah, exactly. It's real. No, it's real. And some she's yeah, I'm not carrying the ring though. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, go for it, Gerard. Well, I was gonna say it, it is really important. Something some Javon just said that they think like we cannot do it alone. Like it can't work in a vacuum. I think many teams have tried and many teams have failed. I think I'll talk to product marketers who will say, I really struggle with my sales enablement team in person. And you'll talk about why, you'll break it down and go, okay, well, how would you do it? And you realize like they don't have the skills, they don't have the resources, they don't have the bandwidth, they don't have the knowledge. They cannot do the things that really good enablement teams do. And I think it's important to recognize that there's a a balance, a handoff, a set of bridges that you need to build in order to make it work. Because it will fail without, there's just no freaking way. I, I do not go a day without talking to our sales enablement leader here at Highspot. There's not a day where we're not slacking or texting or talking face-to-face because there's just no way we can get the really critical uh, content and context to the field in a way that scales, nor can we get the feedback loop on what's working in a way that scales. We will both miss the targets and the company won't be successful and we'll be looking for new jobs. And I don't wanna do that. I wanna make sure <laughs> we have the resources necessary to, to go win uh, and, and win often. Yeah, I mean, the biggest, the biggest issue with, with marketing in a lot of cases is adoption of content. 
Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of this work is done and there's this amazing content that's created, but it's not adopted because it's either not consumable or the why hasn't been established early enough. I mean, it's those conversations that I enjoy so much between enablement and PMM is why does this matter? How is it going to help our customers buy from us? Right. Don't try to tell me how to sell. Right. Nope. Sales were there in each <laughs> place for a reason. But how is it going to help our customers buy? What is it about this that we're trying to deliver that is really going to make that customer understand the value, understand the vision? And it's taking that and aligning that over top of all the product deliverables, which is really how you make that combination package not only adoptable, but consumable. And the feedback can be so powerful because you've really looked at what people really want to hear. Totally. Yeah. And I love how you both kind of mentioned, you know, when I explain enablement, I, I say, departments tend to be like icebergs slowly drifting away and enablement kind of comes in and yeah, builds those bridges and this kind of help helping be responsible for, for connecting those things. And those bridges are constantly breaking. You have to kind of rebuild them as the product shifts and, and as new problems arise. Right. Um, so yeah, love, lo love that. And, and Gerard, you talked about, you know, you're kind of attached to the hip at sales. Enablement. I think that's, that's totally accurate. You're, you're a, you know, you're a go-to-market leader at high spot. It's 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 a team sport. So so including, you know, product marketing. Like, who are the other key interlocks? Uh, you know, the, the other interlock stakeholders that are important for you in your role uh, yeah. to, to help drive growth. Yeah, the team. So if I, if I think about a crew model, which we use at High Spot, who, who's in the who's in the crew? Product management's in the crew. We need to know kind of what are you guys building? Why are you building it? What problems do you think it's going to solve? Uh, what's it informed by? And it's not to be, you know, in product management stuff. It's another tied at the hip partnership that a product marketer has. It's, it's half of our job, right? Product marketing, product. So what are we building? Why are we building it? What problems is it set to solve? Is it going to uh, create a competitive gap? Is it going to close a competitive gap? Who are the personas this is all tied into? Everything we need to know is to help you get that product off the shelf and launched appropriately. So that, that's one really key stakeholder in the crew. Um, to absolve what we would typically do in the past where I've failed many times is not having a strategic sales enablement leader in the room because I tried to go to sales directly. And then what I found is that there's just too many permutations. There's just too many nuances of what the seller's trying to do. And I need somebody who can make it all make sense. So I used to go to the uh, account development lead. I used to go to the account executive and the account management leader and then the sales engineering leader. And what you find is like, they're just not aligned, right? Yeah. They're, they're trying, well, they're trying to do what's in front of them today. And so right. what they need is a thing that helps them sell a deal today, but it's not mindful of the larger strategy. So enablement's been able to help build that bridge and say, look, Gerard, let me, let me translate what all four of these teams are saying. Like this is what's good. So enablement's in the bucket or in the boat. Our head of services is in the boat. We want to make sure that, okay, when we deploy the thing, when we sold the thing we said we're going to sell, um, how's it landed? How's it resonating? How are customers actually using the product? Where do they get stuck? What are some of the things that they wish we would have done differently in the pre-sales process to make their lives easier now in the post side? How do we help them have the ROI conversation when someone says, hey, you bought this thing, how much return are we getting from it? Those are people that, that are part of the crew. Um, and then the larger kind of corporate marketing function. I think a lot of folks sometimes run the risk of saying, I'm talking to marketing, product marketing's here. Well, no, product marketing is a piece of the larger marketing story. Right. Content marketing or the broader content, the thought leadership, the demand generation, the website, the channel partner, the, 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 the community work. Like there's, there's a whole larger ecosystem of marketing, but product marketing where kind of product meets the rubber road of sales is where we spend a lot of time. But I spend just as much time with my 
partner in demand gen and corporate marketing as I do with the other functions. So I feel like, it, and I, I always use kind of the, the four families. I can get the four families like in the crew <laughs> they're all aligned on things. Things go a lot smoother, but, but how right, many yeah. times have seen things go awry when we're saying one thing on the website that's way different from what the sales team is saying, which is way different from how the customer experiences. And now, now we're all in trouble. And, and, and now someone's going to go get yelled at. And I, I just don't, I just don't want that to happen. And yeah, now you do damage control. Yeah. Just, yeah Siobhan, is it the same for you? You know, as an enablement leader, are they the same interlocks? You have different ones, ones that you prioritize. What's that look like from your end? I would say we have very similar interlocks, but from, in some cases, a different perspective. So um, for example, from the solution engineers, it is how can we get the solution engineers up and out of the feature function and also have them talking value and vision, right? So there's things like that. The professional services, how to teach professional service managers how to sell, right? So when they're out there, they can go, oh, do you want fries with that, right? <laughs> Let me tell you about this, that kind of thing. CS, of course, with the, you know, you've got all the acquisition side of the business, but the customer doesn't stop there. And so it is from a customer's perspective, who is my ultimate stakeholder, right? You don't have customers, company doesn't exist. From a customer's perspective, it doesn't stop when the acquisition is made. That's the beginning for them. And so it's making sure from an enablement perspective that we've got that whole customer journey tied in. You've got the NPI, right? So the NPI is what's coming and please don't try to introduce it in the last month of the year, right? Things like that. So it's even <laughs> simple things like calendaring and respecting that in the last quarter of any fiscal year, you're not going to get sales attention, right? Doing a one hour, let's talk about integrations from a deep technical perspective, isn't going to fly, right? It's just not going to work. Um, sales management is a huge one because when I talk about my customers from an enablement perspective, it's not the sellers. The sellers are the end user. My customer is actually the sales manager because the sales manager and me in enablement are the ones that are the one-two punch, right? I talk about responsible to, not for, and that enablement's responsible to sales, but not responsible for the sale. And because of that, there is a distinct line between what I'm and my team is responsible for, which is to create the best programs using you know the best use of resources in the most optimized and scalable way. But the execution of those programs is a responsibility of the sales managers. And so that interlock, if that one's broken, there is no sales enablement in the world that will work. No matter how good you are or what you've got, or you know, the amazing PM team like what Jared is running, it's going to fail because all it takes is one person, one manager that has influence that can bring the whole thing down. And so that's a major interlock. But there's also HR, talent management, right? Are we hiring the right people into the roles that we need to get hired? And then on our ops side of it is all the analytics, all the, you know, analytics from an enablement side is really tough because most of what we do is relatively nebulous, right? You can't, for example, say, I'm going to align the highest productive sellers with the most learning and look how those align. It doesn't, it just doesn't align because a lot of the, the really high productive, you're just getting out of their way. So they're not doing the learning. They're doing it just in time, not based on something else. So there's, there's a ton of interlock there. Uh, but most of it, again, is keeping everybody and get that vision on the whole customer journey, not the this is my swim lane, this is yours. And, you know, that drives me crazy when I see that. So it's like we're all in it together. And, you know, the customer shouldn't have to figure out how to work with us. We need to figure out how to work with the customer. 
hundred percent. If Gerard was on your team, what kind of expectations would you have for product marketing to ensure that your success, you know, was, was being met and, and that, that you're able to manage that, that interlock appropriately. Like what, what expectations would you have for? Well, some of it, yeah, some of it is from a philosophical point of view, there are two pieces that we need to start before we get any of the product updates. And that is as a seller, what's in it for me? Why should mm -hmm. I care? And then the second one is how's it going to help my customer buy every single thing that comes across that, that slide from PM has to start with those two things because you got to get the attention of the sellers, number one, and you've got to show how that's going to impact the work that they're doing. Then you can go into the rest of it. But it is having that up first, and then it is delivering it in very short, consumable bits. One of the very first times at Ring Central, I had one of the PMs delivered a one-hour video of the new corporate deck. And I said, that's not, we can't do that. And he's like, well, why not? I said, well, A, goldfish memory. Salespeople <laughs> are not going to be able to stick that long and they shouldn't have to. And if you need to change any of this, you're going to have to re-record the whole video. Are you up for that? <laughs> that got his attention. And so what happened, I just said, look, just break it down into five to seven minute chunks. Because not only will it make it easier for you if you have to update, which is, you know, gee, that never happens. You have to update, but also it allows the sellers to go and get what they need right at the time that they need it to fill that particular gap that they have right now. So it's very activity-based. It's very specific. So these are these are just some of the things that I've worked with PM on, right? And also think about who your audience is, right? When we're talking about SDRs, BDRs, and whatnot, they need a lot more help. They need a lot more understanding if a customer comes in, how are you going to handle that conversation or on the outbound? When you're talking about the more enterprise level, the upmarket, then typically you just need to tell them what's coming. How's it going to affect any of the deals they have going and how's it going to affect their audience, their, their existing customers, and where do they go to get details, right? So it's, it's this fully scalable pattern of the content that's coming over and it's working with PM to understand where all that fits and how that fits and how it's consumable and to do it in a managed controlled time frame within the sales calendar itself. Gerard, I'm going to get to you in a second with your expectations of enablement and Siobhan. But before I do, Siobhan, you said something that was absolutely tip top. PMM should do share two things right at the onset with your team and, yep. the, and by, by nature, the, the sales force. What's in it for me and how's it going to help my customers buy? When you say what's in it for me, you're talking about that actual sales rep, right? Why yes, should I sales rep, I'm talking about the sales rep, right? What's in it for me? How is this going to uh, get me higher compensation? How is it going to make my conversations easier? What are the 10 open-ended questions that I can ask to have those conversations? Um, rather than you know, this here, here's a new piece of, of software, or here's a new rollout, go and sell it. That doesn't help them. It's like, what is it going to do for them? And that is really, you, you've got to get their attention. I mean, they've got so much stuff going on and so many things in their bag that trying to get them to, to pay any attention to you whatsoever is difficult. I mean, adoption is the biggest challenge with marketing. I've heard numbers of, you know, 40 to 70 to 90% of content is never seen by sales. 
Mm. And a lot of that is just because it's either too heavy or it's a white paper or it doesn't align or it's not on go to market or, I mean, Gerard was talking about that, right? If you don't have the websites not on message and all of your scripts are not on message and the decks aren't on, it just becomes a, a total mess. And then you've got no management, no control, and you can't trust any of the data coming back. Nope. And so it's all of that tied together. I love it. And so once you have the what's in it for me, then you move on to the how's it going to help my customers buy. I, yep. Fantastic. Gerard, your turn. What's your yeah. expectations of enablement uh, to ensure your team's success? It, I'm going to pick up right where Siobhan left off. That, that, uh, that notion, and I, I say I use this one a lot because I'm addicted to alliteration. But I always say like content without context equals chaos. Yep. Like it just does, right? You've heard me say that before. But then also like content with context gives you confidence. What I need from enablement is that context because here's, here's the reality. I want more product marketing leaders to understand you are not the only thing going on in the seller's world. You're mm -hmm. just not, and neither is the product. So if I look at just our enablement calendar from this year, sellers had to do CPQ. Sellers had to learn a new sales methodology. Sellers had to understand a new methodology and a new motion. Sellers needed to understand how to do five or six different skills differently. That's before we even touch the product. If I don't have insight into what is going on in the seller's world, then yeah, I'm going to show up with a 60 minute review of the customer overview deck and say, well, just watch this. It's only 60 minutes of your time. As if there's nothing else going on in their world. Right? Right. You're not busy doing yeah. pipeline. You don't have anything going on. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? So, so that context from enablement is so critical to say, Gerard, hold, hold on, Chief. Before, before you put pen to paper, before your team comes to a sales all meeting and announces that you have some new content or talks about a new product launch or wants to talk about a competitor, let me just give you the lay of the land of all the things that the sales team's going through. And one of the fastest ways to rise to the top of the list of things that, you know, they're going to pay attention to is to say this, is to talk about what's in it for them, is to talk about a major challenge they're having at the kind of SQL conversion level that the sales leader just yelled at them about is the fastest way to say, hey, we want to solve that problem. Here's, here's a solution. So that, that context is everything. And without it, I think that's where teams run into challenges. The worst thing, and I'm sure Siobhan can attest to this. The worst thing is when the seller's just like, I, I'm confused. You enablement, you told me to do this. My manager told me to do this. Marketing's telling me to do this. Services is telling me to do that. Like, can you just make it make sense? And like, that's, that's the job I need for enablement to do is to just help me make it make sense. Help me put it in the context that a rep's gonna understand it in. Because quite frankly, there's other channels we can get our stuff through. And I think that's where a lot of product marketers go awry is that they think sales is the only channel that they have to leverage. It's the most effective channel, right? It's, the, it, it's one of the channels that you want to make sure you're plugged into, but it's not the only channel. So is there a world where your website can do some of the heavy lifting? Is there a world where some of your communities can do some of the heavier lifting? Is, are there places you can be that you can do some of the lifting and the offloading for what a rep has to do? in context and in the spirit of everything else that's going on, you're not trying to undermine them or undercut them, but can you kind of orchestrate a journey in a way that makes sense so that by the time Suzanne says the buyer sees it, it's just like, oh yeah, this is what the rep just told me. And this is what the services team just told me. And this is what the website told me. And I went to talk to Gartner and this is what Gartner just told me. Like that's, that's euphoria for the buyer. So how do we create more of those? So I, I need enablement to provide real-time context of what's going on in the rep and in the business's world 
so that our stuff can be most impactful just in time and in context. Oof, wow. It's so clear, really, from the both of you that Siobhan and Gerard, that, that product marketing enablement, it's like peanut butter and jelly. It's just inextricably linked and complementary. And when I say peanut butter and jelly, and by the way, I'm craving one right now on a no-carb <laughs> diet because of health reasons. And, and just to be clear, we're talking about craft, chunky peanut butter <laughs> and Smucker's strawberry jam filled with preservatives, the good old fashioned way. Just, you know, do it right, right? If you're really going to do it, do it right. This is enablement and product marketing. Like, how are you ensuring your teams are clear on swim lanes, responsibilities? Because there, there are gray areas between enablement and PMM. And, and, and as you're thinking about those swim lanes and responsibilities, like how are you guys fostering the relationship in general? Just like, let's get tactical with meeting cadences and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll leave it open. Whoever wants to go first. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, go ahead, Shavon, you, you start. Well, I was just going to say that one of the major things you have to do, first of all, is have mutual goals, mutual agreed upon goals, so that every quarter, however you, you want to assess these, that we're both working towards the same the same goal, because when you don't have that and you're at odds and conflict occurs, there is no winner. And we need to be able to make sure that we're working on the same thing. So that's, that's first off, that's the thing you need to do. And the other thing, and this is what you know, I set up anywhere I've got enablement rolling is we are the protectors of sales. And so you have to come through enablement to get in front of sales for any reason. I don't care where it's coming from, whether it's PM or legal or HR or whatever it is, it's gotta come through enablement because the agreement we have with the, with the sales managers, they are responsible for execution, as I said earlier, right? R2 and four, they're responsible for ex execution. We have to be responsible to ensure that they get the proper time, they're not overloaded, they aren't overwhelmed, and everything is managed. And so it's that, what can we do, right? You know, as Gerard was talking about looking at the enablement calendars, they're typically, they, they're, they're ridiculous what we're trying to get done. And, and so it's, how do we assign priorities mutually? How do we determine, right? The, the sales management says this is a priority, but if we look at the market data, it says this is a priority. And from an enablement perspective, we say this is what we're hearing from our, our enablers. Where does that all go together? And so that means this really open, as I said, these critical conversations, right? We can all be buddy-buddy and big hugs and you know share martinis after work, but in the time, it's gotta be what is reality? And I talked about that at the beginning, right? You bring the dose of reality to what is really, really possible and asking reps and managers to do 10 to 12 to 18 to however many hours every quarter is, is, is not going to fly. And so it's, it's figuring out that cadence. It's figuring out what are you doing? How are you doing the repetition? What is the content that's going to come flying over the transom? And together with mutual goals, you figure that out and bring the sales leadership in as well. So it's not just the two of us. There's actually three here this triangle just the three of us yep <laughs> got a ring to it yeah yeah i violently co-signed no surprise um i think the mutual goals gets really important i think most people and this is again i'll challenge other product marketing you have the same goals as enablement your goal is not to get your content read 
Your goal is not to get all your materials downloaded. Your that is not your goal. Your goal is to get the product to the buyer in a way that they use, they buy it, they use, they love it. That's the goal. Like just, just stop. anything that's not that is counted to it. And you may find that like your content's not great. You may find that. You may find over time that like it doesn't speak in the right language. And so I think like that's the first piece is like with the mutual goals you set, content can be a bridge to that, but it's not, it's not the end game. Uh, Kelly and I are my, my name and my partner. We, we set a goal from the beginning. What, what are we here to target? What can we baseline? What can we measure? And then how do we make sure that before we sit our teams down to go do a thing, how does it move the needle for that goal? And if we can't answer that question, then maybe it's not work worth doing or it's not work worth doing together. So mutual goals, mutual accountability is important. Something Siobhan said in a talk, I, I told her, I saw her on a talk about two years ago and she said it, she talked about doing it at every enablement practice she runs is she's accountable to the leadership, right? She's not accountable to the individual. She's accountable to the leaders. And so at that level, Kelly and I can diffuse a lot of tensions across our teams by saying, what leaders are we accountable for? I know this one seller's got an issue today. I know this one set of sales teams talks about this stuff. We're accountable to leadership. And what leadership wants is this. We're going to drive the behavior, the skills, the knowledge transfer necessary to get that thing done. And the thing that, again, we love about the enablement partnership is they can drive accountability that product marketing can't. I can't go tell a sales manager what to do. I can't tell him or her what to do with their team. Enablement can. Enablement can say, you know, hey, Bill, you, <laughs> I know you're struggling, but here's how we're going to solve this for you. I, I can't do that, right? And so I think that becomes important. And when we think about roles, responsibilities, kind of the race, you know, all that stuff, we can diffuse a lot of it by just having to share a goal, but it is tricky. I'm not gonna sit here and say it's easy to define the swim lanes. I think in smaller companies, you would see roles where product marketing wears an enablement hat a little more often than they should, or enablement wears a product marketing hat by you know doing things that maybe they shouldn't a little more than they should. But the goal is to get back to the table and get really clean on those roles and responsibilities. Because without it, yeah, there's overlap and there's friction or neither team, both teams assume the other team's doing it and nothing happens at all. <laughs> so when you talk about like brass tacks for cadence, there is a weekly meeting between enablement product marketing for our teams. Kelly and I do a weekly one-on-one. -on -one. Um, we do meetings at the strategy level that we're involved in as leaders. And then there's meetings at the execution level that the teams are involved in. And there's probably literally not a day where a Slack, a text, a communication, a meeting is not happening. So it's probably more over communication that creates maybe some areas for our team where it's just like, oh, you again. But you won't hear about failed or missed handoffs. You'll just hear about opportunities to get better. You will not hear, I didn't get this from them. I didn't get this from them. And there's friction. There's always, hey, we, we're both doing some things and we're trying to get our lanes right. But that's a good thing because we all want our sellers to be successful. That, that's the yeah. You hit on something really good there, Gerard, also is it's it's the go-to-market alignment. It's the fact that from an enablement perspective, we can push back on folks that want us to do something by say, how are you going to measure that? What's the outcome going to be? Because if you don't have an outcome, why are we doing this? And, and does that outcome align? And right, we can start asking questions like that of sales leadership. So they start to think, oh, okay, well, it was a good idea, but it doesn't fit. We also can help them really understand priorities, right? Which is, you know, you've, I've got, I'm doing four things for you, Mr. Sales Leader, and you're asking me to do this fifth one. Yeah, we've got to go to market aligned. Yes, we have the outcomes established, but which one of these four do you want to take off so we can add this new one? And that really helps that conversation as well. And then the last thing, and Gerard, you hit on this, is what do we actually want the salespeople to do? 
-hmm. because learning is not a to do. (laughs) How do we want this actually to hit the street in a way that's actionable, not just a learning exercise? As I listen to you both, it really kind of sounds like on the enablement side and the product marketing side, in some ways you're kind of like translators for the teams that you're responsible for or that you interface more directly with. And you're, you're helping bridge those other departments because without that translation process, people are talking over each other, people are, are, are misaligned. And so in a lot of ways you're aligning and then the more you, those two functions are aligned, the better everyone is, right? Yeah, I call myself the universal translator. <laughs> Yeah. If you look at my resume, you look at my LinkedIn, it's right, it's right in there, right? I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm multilingual because I can help speak that language. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, it's definitely true. There, there are times, real quick, there are times when I will lean on Kelly and say, hey, Kelly, help me make this make sense to this person. Because yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at it from a very product and market-centric lens. I'm going to use the wrong words. Help, <laughs> help me make it make sense. What's going to get their attention? Literally from the subject line to the body of the message. And she'll say, just say this, this, and this. Works like a charm every time so but we, we we work it both ways too i need this from product i need this from marketing how do i ask you know how do i ask corporate for this how do i ask for so like that that rosetta stoning like that's happened or the rosetta stone in the middle is very real and i think when teams have it things work when it doesn't it breaks it's just it's just that simple now now something you both mentioned that i, th- I want to just hone in really quickly let's say it's the end of the year you know, you're, you're cozied up to the fire. You're, you're evaluating the, you know, last year you want to, you want to look at, were we successful this year? Uh, you guys both kind of talked about having metrics to define success. Do you guys have some examples, you know, some specific examples of like, here are some of the things that, that I use to define success. Cause I think we all can agree. You need to have some sort of metric to determine success. What, what are some of those for, for both product marketing and enablement? From a, an enablement perspective, some of the things we look at are uh, how much of the how much of the content was actually consumed outside of outside of you know enablement or outside of internal folks. Was it consumed by a customer? How did that affect the the revenue increase? Um, I don't look so much at quota percentage because quota can be modified just by changing model, and so I don't really trust quota attainment all that much. But I do trust revenue, right? Productivity is going up, attrition is going down. How do we, did did what we do have an impact on that? And you can measure that through ramp. You can measure that through multi-product sale, for example. There's a lot of campaigns and and ways that uh, it can be measured looking at how, what was delivered as consumable was in fact consumable. Was it consumable? Did it move the needle? How fast did it move the needle? Where did it move the needle? Did it move the needle just in the lower deals or did it move the needle all the way up to the great, you know, the large upmarket deals? And and who's actually involved in it? Who's actually using these pieces that we've put together, either using the tool like Highspot or using the actual content itself and managing it. And that is the responsibility of enablement is to get that information back to the PMs to know, hey, this worked and this didn't. And so let's proliferate that and let's stop doing this. So that is, you know, when those conversations are open and fluid and the goals, the mutual goals are met, then it is sitting by the fire singing Kumbaya. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, you touched on some of the KPIs we would look at. Uh, influence revenue from content is one we look at a lot. Uh, my goal is not to, I don't want to be a content publisher. I don't want to write books. I don't want to write novels, right? I, 
I want to get the bare minimum amount of materials a team needs to be successful. And if those need to be translated, localized, that's a different conversation. But the goal isn't to have a thousand pieces at the disposal of the reps. I want, what, are the, what are the top five, top 10, top 15 that move the needle? How do we put our energy and effort there? And to my point before, for the things that may not need sales as a channel, how do you get them in market in a way that's a little different? We also look at as a leading indicator, we look at sales confidence. That was the one we shook our hands on when the year started as a leading indicator. It's not the end all be all. I know there's a fierce debate on like whether or not you should measure, you know, CSAT or sentiment from the reps. I measure it as a leading indicator. I want to know how confident they are in their skills, their ability, their product knowledge, because it can inform the way we might do uh, contextual enablement programs. We might not need to enable everybody at the same level. Not everybody needs the 200 level stuff. Maybe for the reps who are struggling on objection handling, maybe they just get this. And maybe for the reps who are struggling with this particular use case, they just get this just in time. But we lean on enablement to figure out sales confidence to identify where some of those gaps and pockets are. And then ultimately we'll look at things like our competitive win rate, our ability to shrink, close no decision as an indicator of, are we doing value selling better? Sales team can do a lot of it with the sales skills, but they'll need a lot of the messaging and the compete materials to disposition competitors. Like sales, I think sales gets in trouble when they make that stuff up. So let's find ways to help them take an outside in perspective to say, hey, here's the things our competitors are saying about us. Here's the things that the market really cares about. Here's what we do really well. Let's draw that little weird Venn diagram and only talk about these things here, as opposed to your competitive playbook from, from five years ago that, that just is not working anymore. So we'll look at compete as a, a service. We'll look at our ability to help, but we measure it through, are we increasing our competitive win rate? Are we lowering our close no decision? Because when we work on our sales methodology and our messaging and our compete programs, we are doing that together. We're not going off into a room and handing the materials to enablement and saying, here, make the team say this stuff. We're actually sitting down at the table to co-develop it. That, that's a really important distinction. So when we look at the scorecard at the end of the year, we're either red, yellow, or green. Anywhere we're yellow, we're going to get to work. Anywhere we're red, we're really going to get to work. And anywhere green, we're going to raise the bar for next year. Gerard, I love that you said compete as a service. And speaking of compete, let's switch the conversation to how you know your teams are positioning to help your companies win. And just as a, a quick refresh for those listening, uh, for me, product marketing is all about positioning to win. Like that's what you help your company do. You help your company position to win. And win is an acronym. The W is who are you winning with your best for customers and who you're going to win against your, your competitors, both merging, adjacent, uh, existing, the I in win is impact. Like what is the actual impact off the value that you're providing to your customers when they hire you for a job to be done? And then the N is narrative. And, and that's really where the marketing meets the execution. It's not just fluffy storytelling. It's what is the narrative that you're sharing with your sales reps so that they can have conversations to win uh, what is the narrative that you're sharing with your actual best fit customers? So the impact and the value resonates with them right off the page. So to that end, let's start with the W. Gerard, how are like how did your teams decide how how do they decide who to win with and who to compete against? Yeah, yeah, we select our competitors. We we recognize our primary competitors, the no decision one. It's not another software company. Like it's it's <laughs> It's the 1,500 solutions that a, a sales leader can make when they are asked the question, what will make the team better next year? Because that could be, I could hire more reps. That could be, we could run a sales methodology. That means we could 
outsource other functions. There's all there's 1500 options a sales leader can make. So our, our, our competitor is really just that pure, just sales tech mayhem that's out there. And the overwhelming sort of number of choices and the cognitive overload leads to, to no decision. So we select our competitors, no decision. That's the one. And then, yeah, if you're going to make a decision on a platform, we know kind of who our, our primary kind of foes are. Um, but we made the decision to attack no decision as the primary competitor. We want you to do something. We hope you do it with us. We like our odds if you decide to do something and you're going to make an investment on the platform. But let's land the, the wide change first. Let's get you dispositioned against the status quo. That's what we decide. And, and the how was, I mean, it, it, it seems obvious, but we look at win-loss analysis data. And what we find is that like, yeah, the win surveys are great because it tells us all the things we did, but the no decision data of oh, wasn't the right time or oh, you guys all look the same or oh, I couldn't give them to the stakeholder to see the value on it or oh, this looks a lot like something else we have in another department and I didn't want to fight. There's so many things you uncover in your losses and no decision that by the time we had set up kind of our full-blown kind of win-loss analysis, we realized it's, it's not about the other ISV software competitors. It is really about the buying process, politics, challenges, um, Siobhan touched on earlier of like, how do you make that easy? And we, we decided to attack that. So we're doing better in that regard, but win-loss data, all of our seller interviews, and honestly conversations with our best customers about how did you buy it and recognizing that they had to multi-thread within the account. They had to be a champion. They had to speak on our behalf and speak to our value in the rooms we weren't in was the ticket. So how did we scale that? So that, that, was, that was what informed the decision. Our, our win-loss data primarily indexed on our loss and no decision. Love, love, love that you're leveraging win-loss data, obviously. Own personal bias, you know. Siobhan, yeah. uh, <laughs> on the other side of the fence, you know, you, you're probably attacking from maybe a slightly different angle when it comes to best fit customers and competitors. What does that look like, you know, for, from your end, from the enablement side? How do you help sales best understand kind of those stakeholders, the best cadence, how to educate them, the best fit customers, competitors? What does that look like on the enablement side? Uh, from my perspective, it's stories. It's being able to tell stories. It's being able to have solid customer references and show them that someone else has done it first that they, you want to reduce risk. That's what most people are afraid of. And it's not necessarily that they want to win. It's that your customer doesn't want to lose. They want to mm. lose their job. They don't want to lose their team. They don't want to lose their, um, their leadership. They don't want to lose their recognition within an organization, right? So there's a lot of that you need to uncover. And when you tell stories about successes and you have in there, you know, the, the, the appropriate uh, KPIs, for example, and, and the stories are relatable. And then your customers, it makes it a lot easier for them to get over the, the, the competitive, you know, I'm, I'm going to do the check mark thing. Cause that nobody wins with the check mark, right? It's like, so what, what you win with is how is it going to fundamentally change how they do business in order for them to either come to market faster or, you know, save time in some fashion that they are, um, using their people properly, that the resources and the time management they've got is going well. These are the things that they care about, much more than the, the bits and bytes. But it does come down to, does the product actually deliver that? And then one thing that we, we really need the sellers to do, and one thing that we teach a lot of, is how to push the customer's imagination. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of them are so heads down in what their day-to-day -day is 
they can't think about what it could be, right? I mean, I started this off by saying enablement and leadership is reimagining re the status quo. That is something that you want every single seller to have that conversation with their customer about that through the customer stories, through getting them to think outside the box, through getting them to understand that you don't want to trade innovation for increment, right? I've heard that expression once and I loved it. And it's that instead of trying to just fix little things, let's innovate. And you innovate by getting them to see beyond where they are now and what they could possibly do. And so that is really, from an enablement perspective, that's where we see a lot of the wins. And when you're talking about you know, some of these complex deals, without those stories, without this innovative discussion, you're not going to win. It's going to go to no decision. Or it's going to be with, you know, I'm just going to stay with whatever the incumbent is because at least I know that. Because they can't get their mind out of what their day-to-day -day is. The nuance there too, what you talked about earlier, which is like having a story is great, but if you can't deliver it in a meaningful way, especially to your sellers, then it's for not, you know, having a 60-minute video of a customer testimonial isn't going to do your sellers a whole lot of uh, good. So, so really coming up, working strategically with product marketing and your own internal teams to saying, okay, we want to tell good stories that are meaningful, engaging, you know, that are engaging, that actually can be consumed in a meaningful way. That's part of the strategy behind enablement. Yeah, I mean, if you think about most of the slide decks that you've seen, the corporate decks, there's always that brag slide, right? It's got like 50 different labels on it. All sorts of, you know, all these companies, hey, they all use our stuff. But if you can't tell stories about any of them, or if you can't tell stories about one of them that aligns with the person that you're talking to, their first question is going to be how they use it. And if you can't back that up, then it's just it's just a wasted opportunity because you have to, you know, firstly, I don't like those brag slides. I'd rather have something that's very pointed for, you know, the actual customer they're going after with, of course, that would you like fries with that, right? You've got to add that piece to it. <laughs> but that big, I mean, every company has them and it's like, okay, so maybe it's a single user. Still goes on there. We've got Coca-Cola. It's a single user of Coca-Cola. Yay. Right? Yeah. yeah, newsflash. A competitor has the exact same slide. With, exactly. Like, they just arrange them in a different logos. way. Yep. Yeah. Same logos, though. I've seen, I, like, same logos. And it's just like, yeah. okay, that, that's interesting. None of this is memorable. Yeah. The only difference is a PowerPoint template behind it. Yay. Nope. <laughs> Siobhan, let's stay with you for a second here. Uh, and again, this goes to the interlock that is so important between product marketing and um, and enablement. Once you know your organization has their target audience top of mind, like what are your expectations of Gerard and and the, you know, your version of Gerard? Uh, sadly, there's only one, but uh, your version of Gerard and at, at Slack and other places that you've been at to help you really educate your sales team on not only what the value of your offer is, but the impact of that value. Well, that's that's what I was talking about. When we get these customer stories, it can't just be these are the customers. It is how did their business change, right? And typically, they're looking at one of three things, time, resources, or money, revenue in some fashion. How did those three KPIs get, get changed in a, in a fundamental, measurable way by the solution that you're suggesting for this customer? Right. What is it that happened? How did it change it that people can align with? Because otherwise it's just another story. As I said, stories, number one, are important. But when you align them based with these KPIs that comes from marketing and that kind of thing, that is really where you get the biggest impact. Perfect. 
Scott, Scott, I'm I'm taking up all these questions here. Please, I, I know you had one for Gerard. Go go ahead. Yeah, no, we've been talking a lot about narrative, um, and, and you know, I want to talk is you know, I want to ask, I should say, from a from an approach standpoint, you know, from from a playbook, um, Gerard, how did how did your team convey value in that in that narrative form? Like, do you, do you have an approach to storytelling, both internally and externally? Do you have a philosophy you stand by? Like, how do you tackle that? Yeah, it's a pretty. I mean, it's a pretty. I'd say a standard approach to, to narrative writing, but it kind of understands the current status quo. It does what Siobhan says is get the customer to imagine uh, an alternative to the status quo, or at least get them to understand the implication of not changing at all. So what's your kind of cost of doing nothing? Something's the bad guy in the story. So, so something's coming that's going to change your business. And if you don't change, then this is the outcome. And we're going to use data and research to validate that this is the big scary change that's happening. But fear not, there's a new safe <laughs> out there. You are the new safe. And the minute you say you're the new safe, you have to prove it. And you have to prove it with a lot of those in-context stories and in-context proof points and validation that you can do what you say you're going to do. And I think that approach to narrative writing has been pretty standard across you know, the kind of product market community. The difference is, and this is a lesson I wish I would have, uh, you know, just kind of used earlier in my, my career is that you can't write that in a room by yourself. You can't sit there and write that narrative as a product marketing team. You need everybody in the room. You need the product team in the room. You need the marketing team in the room. You need the enablement team in the room. You need the sales team in the room. You need the service team in the room. You need the HR team in the room because to Siobhan's point, like, are we going to go out and hire people who can support this narrative? Do we need to think about this differently? Do we need this narrative? as we go hire people to come work here, right? A little sneaky cheat code. So I think the notion of how you write that as a team matters because now if the narrative is firmly in the head of the product team, guess what they're gonna build against that narrative? And guess what they're gonna understand is how the things they build support the use cases and the capabilities that play off that. And how does that narrative evolve over time? You cannot write it and have it be the narrative for the next year, or I'm sorry, you can't have it be the narrative uh, for too short of a time frame or too long of a time frame. So I think, I think that narrative that holds marketing and execution together is so important that you have to write it together. Do not create that narrative in a vacuum because the minute you do, you lose credibility when I have to hand this to Siobhan and say, hey, this is, this is how I want the sellers to go talk. Because the context she'll provide is like, try, they don't talk this way. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. They, they, and, and this is backed by a, a 50 page slide that, sir, if you don't get out of my office. So the ability <laughs> to do it together, I think creates right the, the cohesion of the message, but also what is really important is the governance of the message. Because then what happens is how many times you've seen this, we can honestly, as honest actors say, we created this narrative. This wasn't marketing's narrative or enablement's narrative. This is the company's narrative that was co-created by the go-to-market leadership team. And not only do we agree and align to this message, we're going to govern it. So when I see people taking liberties with the message, going off script, going rogue, going off brand, just to try to win a deal in the moment, enablement can catch that. Sales can catch that and say, no, 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 that's, that's not what we do here, right? And if there are liberties to take given the market context, segment, geo, industry, of course you adjust, but we're not going to rewrite, change, or alter the narrative so dramatically that is something people don't recognize. So the value in doing it together is that you not only go further, but the governance around it ensures that there's alignment left to right across the go-to-market team. 
a great, great sentiment to, to, to wrap up. Siobhan, anything you'd add to that? I mean, I know on the other side, sometimes you hear, you know, I talk to a lot of people in the name of space and sometimes, you know, they say, yeah, they get a little bit of fluff from, from marketing, uh, you know, and, and their, and their content there. Do you have advice to give so that we, you know, to, to avoid that, uh, you know, anything from your experience that, that would also add to what Gerard's been saying? I think you need to be, as Gerard was saying, you need to be, have all the teams aligned and, and working together on it because from sales, I mean, sales are known for their happy years, right? I heard this, it was great. And then you dig into it, it's not quite what we heard. And so it's, I think it's really important that PM and all of these other people that Gerard was talking about are all combined in order to make these stories work and to make it actually effective. Because as you said, the, the minute you tell a story and it doesn't fit or it doesn't align or it's frankly just not true, customers will know that, right? There's this thing called Google. I mean, they can they can discover anything they want. And it's you, you have to be absolutely prescriptive about what it is you're going to do with the leeway, as Gerard said, to have the cultural alignment right, right? You, you know, you want it to be a, a culture ad as opposed to anything else. Love it. Well, we could go on and on and on. There's so much insights to glean from Siobhan and Gerard, but and sadly, all good things must come to an end. Scott, thank you so much for co-hosting with me. And this is your first time on the on the Market Tab podcast. So uh, thanks for, for lending us your time and being such a lovely co-host. I'm, 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 just, petition I'm just petitioning to become a full-time co-host. This is my audition. <laughs> Scott again. Well, you got your hands full with your own podcast, Steal This Idea, which I absolutely love, by the way. Oh, but truly, thank you, thank you for, for joining us. One of the best product marketing teachers in the game, Gerard. Thank you again for lending us your time. You're always so gracious with your time with the product marketing community. Really appreciate it, my man. And Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer, Siobhan Thatcher, one of the greatest sales enablement pros out there, fellow Canuck, fellow Canadian. Appreciate you uh, as always. Thank you all and have a good one. Take care. Thank you. See ya.